Oh, good morning. Welcome. Um, my name is Andy, and I'm uh, privileged to be the senior pastor here at Troy United Methodist Church. Uh, if we haven't had an opportunity to meet, I'd love to uh, shake your hand, get to know your name uh, before you, you take off today. Uh, but really glad you're here. Before I uh, dive into today's message, I, I wanted to take a moment just to share some staffing news that went public this week in the, the eReach, which is our uh, weekly uh, email newsletter. Uh, and I was chatting with somebody this week, and they're like, yeah, I'm missed that. I didn't read it. Uh, so that happens sometimes. Uh, I get that. But if you, uh, if, if you are interested in the e-reach, maybe you don't even receive it, you can uh, uh, fill that at your connection card. Uh, say that you check the box that says you would like to receive that and put your email address in there. We'd uh, be happy to send that to you uh, each week. But I, I wanted to take a moment to share uh, some of the staffing news. Uh, really, it's with mixed emotions that uh, I, I share that Natalie Carlson will uh, be stepping away from her position as the director of children's ministry. Uh, her last Sunday is going to be on June 10th um, in her staff position, and we're 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 sad. It's mixed emotions. We're we're sad because uh, Natalie's been uh, a part of our uh, staff team for a lot longer than I have been uh, here, uh, several years, a little over four years, I think, and 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 she's been a, a valuable valuable part of our team, uh, and will be greatly missed. Um, and as a church, we'll have an opportunity to say thank you uh, to Natalie and, and for the, the fruit that she's borne over the years of ministry as our church on June, Sunday, June 3rd. But even if you miss uh, that day, you'll have plenty of opportunity to say thank you to Natalie and, uh, because uh, she and her husband Cody and, and kids, Eli and Benjamin, will uh, continue to be uh, a part of our, our church family. Uh, so she's stepping away from her staff position, but not stepping away from, from our church. And so uh, you'll have an opportunity to um, just uh, bless them and, and say thank you to them. But, uh, but the, on the flip side, we're also really excited about the future of our children's ministry because um, uh, just really looking at kind of attendance trends uh, over the last year, this, so far this year, uh, our children's ministry attendance has been 33% higher uh, than it was through this time last year. And our church council has really kind of been recognizing, our leadership has been recognizing that, wow, the, uh, you know, we have to uh, accommodate for this. We, we need to, to plan uh, for this growth. And, and therefore, our, our council approved a plan to increase the children's ministry position from a 15-hour-a-week position to a 30-hour-a-week position for uh, when we make that new hire. And, and we believe this is an important step as we invite people of all ages on this journey with Jesus. That, of course, is our mission as a church. And uh, who's that going to be? Uh, we don't know. Uh, but, but our staff parish team hopes to uh, uh, approve a uh, revised job description and, and begin advertising this week with the hopes of uh, soon interviewing and hiring uh, this position um, uh, sometime this summer. But, um, but our church council also approved a plan to hire Lisa Rail, uh, who is uh, our first step director of, of the preschool ministry here, uh, uh, as an interim, uh, at least uh, through uh, this, well, uh, at most, uh, through the summer, uh, because preschool starts up again <laughs> in the fall. And so she will be uh, stepping in uh, as an interim over the summer and really leading uh, the Vacation Bible School and helping to transition the children's ministry to whomever we hire. So, so stay tuned for updates. And if you or someone you know is possibly interested in such a position, uh, you can have them email us uh, at the email address jobs at troyumc.org. Uh, we would love, love to hear from you um, in regards to that. But, um, 
Uh, but this has been quite a month at Troy United Methodist Church uh, in many ways. Uh, we are concluding, uh, today we're concluding our series, Second Guessing God. And, and it's funny, somebody this week told me that, that they've been telling a coworker about our church. And, and the coworker kind of asked, well, oh, well, you know, tell me more about it. What, what was the sermon about this past week? And to which our, our member replied, well, you know, pain and suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Another person told me, you know, and I don't know how to take this. They said, after listening to your message last week, Andy, I, uh, I now appreciate. I even look forward to pain and suffering. And I said, wow, was I that bad? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that's right. If you've missed the past couple of weeks, you've missed a lot of pain and suffering. Uh, at least, at least uh, a lot of talk uh, about pain and suffering. We've been tackling some tough issues, uh, really wrestling uh, with, with how, how we can see God in the midst of our trials. Uh, we've been wrestling with how to find the power to persevere through some of the more difficult circumstances in our lives and really clinging to the promise that there can be uh, purpose in, in our pain. Um, and this hasn't been an easy few weeks. Um, uh, then again, life, life isn't easy. Pain is universal, and, and pain physical, emotional, relational, uh, spiritual pain, it, it, it oftentimes causes us to second-guess God. But regarding pain and suffering, famous author uh, and Christian C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, a book on suffering which says nothing about heaven is leaving out almost the whole of one side of the account. He goes on to say, no solution of the problem of pain, which does not talk about heaven, can't be called a Christian one. And I wholeheartedly agree. And uh, according to the Bible, for the follower of Jesus, there will come a day when there will be no more pain, no more suffering. And it'll be a glorious day, like, like we just sang about. Uh, life, life can sometimes cause us to, to doubt and, and question God. Uh, oftentimes we can uh, walk through stages of life where, where we feel forgotten, like left uh, cut off from God's care. But, but followers of Jesus, friends, followers of Jesus have so much to look forward to. In a moment, you're going to hear our scripture for today read. And I just encourage you, just soak it in. Soak in the goodness of God's word. You're going to read scripture? Sheila? All right, let's do this. Soak this in. Yeah, you can come up here. <laughs> I guess I could have done that. Sorry. I guess I'm not quite with it this morning. Okay, our scripture this morning is from Revelations 20, 20, sorry, Revelation 7, verse 21. 21, verse 1 through 7. My word. Yeah, you're in the right place. Okay. Yeah. I could say it. I'd be right. right. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, in the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of our Lord and Savior. Amen. That's right. One day, one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> I, love, I love the imagery. All things will be made new. No more pain, no more sorrow. No more crying, no more death. Uh, this, this is what Christians know as heaven. I think we, we all have different images that come to mind when, when we think of heaven. And, and oftentimes I, I find that the images that kind of pop in our mind aren't, aren't really scriptural uh, uh, at all. Uh, sometimes they are, but oftentimes they're, they're not. Uh, you know, things like, you know, the puffy clouds and, and whatnot. That's, I mean, that's... Uh, that's not the scriptures, uh, but but uh, but in fact, the the scripture that we just heard seems to indicate that 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 heaven will will come down to earth, that that everything will be made new. But in his book, Second Guessing God, which this uh, series is uh, inspired by, uh, author Brian Jones he reflects on his own kind of impressions of what will make heaven so great, and and I think he's right on. Um, he, in heaven, he says. There will be no more joint custody. You know, I know for some of you, um, either your parents' divorce or your own divorce is really just the, uh, just the most painful thing that you've walked through in this life. In heaven, you won't have to live with the effects of that anymore. In heaven, there will be no more racism. In heaven, there won't be any tragedies or, or fears that we face in this life. Uh, fears like, like of, of uh, an airplane crashing or of your child being molested or of not having enough money or, or food to, to get by. In heaven, there will be no more handicap signs, no more special seating for those in, in wheelchairs, no braille no, no shame for the way you look because all of our infirmities and insecurities will be taken away. In heaven, there will be no more war, no more crime or hate. In heaven, children won't die. Neither will parents or siblings or grandparents for that matter. In heaven, there will be no more death, no more grief, no more loss of any kind. And when you're in heaven, it will be like you're, you're finally home. Not, not, not just for a little hiatus or the summer on your way back, you know, from going back to college again, you know, not, not, not just for a little visit, but forever, for eternity. You know, the concept of heaven is, is so hard to wrap my mind around heaven and eternity. Uh, and the best way for me to imagine heaven, uh, just personally, is to, is to think about the times when, when God has blessed me with, with, with small glimpses uh, of heaven here on earth. Um, and I'm not talking about things that, uh, as frivolous as walk-off home runs. 
like, like the Cardinals, you all did to my beloved Cubs uh, yesterday. Although I'm not going to lie, when the Cubs won the World Series, that felt like a glimpse of heaven to me. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, I know, I know that I have witnessed many small tastes of, of heaven throughout my life. Like, uh, like when my son Andrew was born, and, and joy that I had. Uh, when my wife and I wrapped our arms around our daughter, Anna, for the very first time, just the, the, the joy of those experiences was, was a, a glimpse of heaven for us. Uh, when when uh, I've had the fortune of, of being overseas and, and worshiping with uh, people of different cultures, like in West Afri- the West African nation of Liberia or in South Korea, or, or I spent one Easter in China, um, at a worship service there. And, and I, I tell you, just worshiping God in, in other languages, uh, to me, was, was a taste, just a, a little taste of what heaven will be like. Uh, whenever I have the privilege of, of witnessing somebody say yes to God and begin following Jesus, like for me, there's nothing better than that. Like I get, I'm like a teary mess when, when we have baptism Sundays and things like that. You know, that that's... That, that, that is as good as it gets. Uh, and that's, to me, when someone experiences the grace of God and begins a new life in Christ, that, that is a glimpse of heaven. Friends, our hearts were created to long for, for those kinds of experiences, that kind of deep intimacy and connection with God. Because you and I were created for heaven. We were created to be with God. And, and ultimately, that's what heaven is, is God dwelling with his people for all of eternity. Now, I found that, that many people have questions about heaven. Um, uh, kids' questions are the best. It's like, well, uh, what, what will it be like? Uh, what will I look like? Will I be a kid forever in heaven? Or, or will I be like an adult in heaven? And <laughs> I never know what to say to that one. I just say, hey, you know, People will recognize you. That's all I can say. Uh, but, uh, but my favorite question is like, will I get to eat steak uh, for eternity? Or, or will I finally be able to dunk a basketball? Uh, that's one that I've wondered. But, uh, but almost every time somebody asks about heaven, I find that they're also kind of curious and wondering about the other place. You know, hell. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, uh, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, said that, that a Christian can't talk about pain and suffering without uh, talking about heaven. Uh, just in the same way, Brian Jones, the author of Second Guessing God, says a Christian book that, uh, about suffering that says nothing about hell also leaves out a good part of the account. Because he says God can actually use pain and suffering in this life to help people avoid hell. Uh, I, I get it. Um, the enlightened, educated, compassionate person can have a hard time with the concept of hell. And I like to consider myself an enlightened, educated, compassionate person myself. And, and in my gut, I've wrestled with many questions about hell. Uh, I've found that I'm not the only one who wrestles with the idea of hell, that, that maybe sometimes it seems a little unfair Sometimes it, it makes it seem like, like God isn't uh, as loving as we say he is. Uh, and, and to be completely honest, I sometimes shy away from talking about hell because the main people I hear talking about hell seem to really enjoy telling certain people that they're going to go there unless they shape up. And I really don't want to be associated uh, with, with folks who use shame and guilt and 
fear to try to scare people into to heaven. Uh, to, to me, that is just not, uh, it's not the strongest of long-term motivators. Um, but I also want you to know that, that I uh, fully uh, believe in God's word. Uh, I trust the, the Bible as God's word to us. I, I trust its accuracy and its authority in our lives. I trust that it has been accurately preserved for thousands of years. And, and there's no way around the fact that, that the Bible talks about hell. Um, what, what's fascinating even more to me is that um, uh, some folks kind of consider, uh, uh, they kind of divorce the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament, something that, that, that I don't do. And I would... Uh, um, love to have conversations with you if you feel like the God of the Old Testament is like all about hellfire and brimstone and the God of the New Testament is all loving and grace. And the, the truth of the matter is, hell is talked about in the New Testament a lot more uh, than, than it's mentioned in the Old Testament at all. In fact, uh, Jesus, Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else in the scriptures. And, and, and in fact, in the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, in that, in that book alone, uh, Jesus there are 13 separate passages where Jesus talks uh, about hell and about the, the judgment of those far from God and their, their assignment to eternal judgment. And this passage, I think, is one that, that kind of sums up many of his teachings about hell. It's, it's just one, but it, it gives you a taste. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is some of the language Jesus used when describing what hell will be like. Fire, eternal fire, destruction, uh, being away from his presence, thrown outside. Uh, this passage said that the blazing furnace uh, darkness, eternal punishment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is just a taste of what the scriptures say about hell. And there's no doubt about it, if you put your trust in, in God's word, and especially God's word made flesh, which is how Jesus is described, that, then you cannot get around the reality of this state of being, this place called hell. Furthermore, you can't get around the fact that the, the Bible says that apart from God's grace, the grace that is made available through Jesus' sacrificial and atoning death uh, on the cross for us, then, then we are all destined for hell. And whatever pain or suffering you may have experienced in this life or you may at some point experience in this life, that it is nothing compared to what hell will be like, at least according to what Jesus has to say about it. But I don't say any of that to try to scare you or, or anybody else. And I certainly don't intend to talk about hell uh, flippantly. Um, I, I'm not happy that there is a hell-like place. And by no means do I want to come across as, as arrogant when, when I talk about uh, hell. In fact, uh, part of me wants to avoid talking about hell because I don't want you to think that this church or that I, as a pastor, am all about hellfire and brimstone. Uh, but I, I want you to know that when I think about hell, when I wrestle with it, when I, when I read the scriptures and study about it and, and I wrestle with whether to talk about it or not, I, I'm thinking about very real people 
who may spend eternity there. People who I love, people who I care about, friends, family members, uh, people who, who I love and, and it breaks my heart. And I not only see, uh, as I observe their life from the outside looking in, I not only see how the, some of the choices and the ways that they're living their life are keeping them from experiencing the joy and the, the peace and just the, the, what it means to live this life in relationship with God. Not only do I see that and I think, man, you're missing out on the best that this life has to offer. Not only do I see that, but I also think to myself, man, you might miss out on being with God for you eternity. Despite the fact that, that in many ways the people that I'm thinking about are, are good, good people. They could spend eternity separated from God's presence because ultimately that's what hell is. Eternity apart from God. If heaven is God dwelling with his people for eternity, then hell is just the opposite. Hell is the absence of God. Hell is being apart from God. And, and, and I, I don't think I'm making uh, too many assumptions when, when I just say, you know what, you know what it's like when you turn your back on God somehow in this life, when you choose to go your own way, do your own thing, uh, you, you know what, that, what it feels like ultimately, the, the, the level of guilt and, and, and shame and sometimes hopelessness and despair when you've chosen to walk your own way and turn your back on God. And that's, 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 you experience that for a time. Can you imagine, even wrap your mind around the fact that when you experience that for eternity, then there's no hope. There is no way out. There is no glimpse of God anywhere to be found. Hell, friends, hell is to be avoided at all costs. And here's what I really want to share this morning. That God can use pain to help people avoid hell. Specifically, God can use your pain to help the people around you avoid hell. How? Well, well first off, if you allow it, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit last week. If you allow it, pain can, can humble you. Pain can so thoroughly uh, break you that you become incapable of thinking about or talking about the reality of hell in a condescending manner. It's just not possible. I mean, like, like we've talked about in previous weeks, uh, pain can humble you to a point where you recognize the truth, the truth that you aren't in control and that you are utter, that we are all utterly dependent on God for everything, including our salvation. I mean, we can't earn God's love by, by really good behavior. We can't make God love us more by, by the things that we do. Uh, we can only receive God's grace and God's forgiveness. We're, we're all broken. We've all really thoroughly screwed up at times. And, and, and we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve to be with God uh, for eternity. In fact, we've each turned our backs on God so much that, in fact, we, we deserve hell. That's like, that's the default. It's only because of God's mercy that we can have the hope of heaven. And pain, if you will allow it, it can break you enough to kind of have you live perpetually in that state of humility and brokenness. Um, and, and in that state, you can be a compelling witness of God's love. I mean, think about it. In that state, you become amazingly compassionate for, for other people. Um, in, in that state, it is impossible to be arrogant enough to, um, 
let's say, identify certain groups of people who are deserving of hell without also acknowledging your tremendous personal brokenness. I mean, some, some, in some Christian circles, they like to uh, unfairly identify homosexuals or, or people who have had abortions or divorcees or Muslims as an especially evil bunch, right? It, it is, when you let pain humble you, you, you just can't be like that anymore. It's impossible to put yourself up on a pedestal and look down on this person or that person or this group of people or that group of people because you realize that, that we're not perfect and, and this life is not perfect and that we all desperately need God, every single one of us. But God can also use your pain to help others avoid hell in, in another way too. Not, not only does your pain humble you to the point where you become uh, compassionate and, and a compelling witness, but your personal response to pain can make you an unbelievably credible witness for God. Uh, especially in the most extreme circumstance when you have joy and courage and even peace in the midst of, of facing death. Uh, although the average person doesn't think about death very often, I, I'm very aware that there are times when the fear of death can be just overwhelming, all-consuming. I don't know what it takes for you in your life to kind of have your mortality become real for you. Uh, maybe every time you get on a plane, it's, it's just right there. You know, you feel it. You're like, wow, this could be it. Uh, or, or maybe uh, when you hear about a tragedy in somebody else's life, for me, that, that hits home when I start thinking about how just fragile life is. Or, or a close call in the car. Or going to the hospital for surgery. I mean, all of these circumstances for me, they, they cause me to ask uh, the, the kind of the really hard question just of my own life. Like, hey, Andy, are, are you ready? Are you ready to face death? And in my experience, most people ask similar questions. But, but what separates the, the Christian from the one who is far from God is the ability of the Christ follower to look death in the eye and be at peace. To, to know that death is not the end, but really just the beginning. And I believe that God longs for every last person to trust in him and, and to not fear death. And, and sometimes in a last ditch effort to draw somebody whom God loves, to draw their attention away from the world and to have their attention on him, God will allow you to walk through a dark place so that your non-Christian friends and family can see how you respond to it and, and truly witness heaven through you. You know, there can be a purpose for the trials and, and the pain that you endure in this life. And that purpose has a name, many names. Joe, your, your coworker, your sister Jamie, Dr. Bob, your oncologist, Nathan, your husband, your, your, your neighbor Beth, Derek, your son, 
They're watching you. They're watching me. And more accurately, they are hungering for something that you have. And sometimes the only way that they're going to get a glimpse of it is when they see you stumble into situations where you can actually have joy in the midst of your pain. Even peace when you face death. Now, Brian Jones says that historians have often marveled at how the church has grown fastest when it's been persecuted the most. I think a lot of people wonder about that. And this may be because people who are far from God, they intuitively sense that only a person, that the only person who can show them how to truly live is a person who's not afraid to die. That may be the truth. And I believe with all my heart that following Jesus is the best that this life has to offer. I wouldn't, goodness, I could find plenty of other things to do with, with my time in my life if I didn't believe that. Uh, but because I believe that, that's, that's, that's why I do this. It's the best that this life has to offer. It is the best life possible. But following Jesus offers the promise of eternity. Two, pain-free, glorious eternity in God's presence. And sometimes, sometimes pain and suffering can get the best of us here on this earth. You've experienced this. I mean, sometimes things like war and, and cancer or poverty, uh, sometimes in the midst of those things, we can have a hard time saying that this is, the best, this is the best life possible. Sometimes life gets the best of us, and we, and we see just the, the brokenness of this world. But with Christ, where there is temporal pain, there is always eternal hope. As we kind of wrap this up and I bring this series to conclusion, uh, I just want to leave you with the image of heaven. See, friends, whatever, uh, in the midst of whatever trials that that you are experiencing right now, whatever you might be going through, whatever fears you, you may have about tomorrow, there is hope, the hope of heaven. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And until that glorious day, Jesus has given us a practice to follow, uh, a physical reminder of God's presence with us, a glimpse of heaven, an opportunity to commune with him.